Aloha. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Now, today we're going to talk about one of those really important senses that we all have, or most of us are lucky to have, and that is the sense of vision. What happens when your vision is not doing what you expected it to do, and What happens when you realize that you've gotten a little bit older and somebody says you might have something like a cataract? What's that? And how do you get them out? And it seems kind of scary to know that you're going to have to have not one, but maybe potentially two of these surgeries. Trust me, most people are happy once they do it. But how do you know you need it? Well, today I'm joined by Dr. Kenneth Chung, who is here as a excellent neuro-ophthalmologist who has returned home. He's a Punahou graduate, and he's returned back to the island so that he can practice top-quality ophthalmology, and he's opening up a new practice out in the Hawaii Kai area. So we're going to talk a little bit today about cataracts, common eye problems, and what sort of things can people notice, because, you know, vision's one of those things. If you can't see stuff, you know something's going on, and how do you know what to do and how concerned to get about it? So thank you for joining me today, Dr. Ken. Well, thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here. So now you started with your roots here in the islands. Yes. And then you went off to get training. Where did you go, and what did you study? Uh, well, I'm from Kanioi, and then after high school at Punahou, I went to UC Berkeley, where I studied religious studies and uh, molecular cell biology. And I came back to the islands uh, where I attended uh, medical school at John A. Burns. Uh, And then I went to Loma Linda for my residency. And then I was uh, fortunate enough to go study uh, uh, neuro-ophthalmology with one of the masters uh, at uh, Harvard at um, Boston. Well, you can't get better than Harvard, I'll tell you. So let's talk about eye problems. So you have a particular specialty. We'll talk about what neuro-ophthalmology is. But common stuff is common. And, you know, I'm getting older and I'm noticing that, oh, my distance vision (laughs) is better than my close-up vision. And so I'm noticing all these eye changes myself. I know my patients are. And one of the things that I see commonly is people that come to see me and they tell me they're about to have a cataract surgery. Cataracts happen almost to everybody if you live long enough. What is a cataract, and how can I prevent getting one if possible, and how do I know I got it? So cataracts is a clouding of the lens, and it's almost a rite of passage. Uh, if you live long enough, uh, just like other parts of the body get older and, and degenerate. Uh, yeah, that, that word <laughs> makes me sad. I'm degenerating as we talk. Or okay. we age. Uh, okay, the, either the, one. The lens in the eye starts to do the same. And the way you think about it is the lens naturally when you're born, it's, it's, it's very clear. It's like a clear window. But with time, it starts to get cloudier and more yellow and fractured. And so just as uh, when you have a windshield that's been nicely washed, you can see through it very clearly. But as it gets streaked, the images become blurrier. Uh, you get more glare. You might get halos. Colors change. And so anything with optical quality uh, that used to be good gets degraded. And that's when cataracts start to usually become a factor. So if I was just reading a piece of paper, yes, how could I tell? I mean, I assume that if both of my eyes have cataracts mm. and I'm not noticing that things are cloudy, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I can't compare it to the other eye. They both have cataracts. So could I notice something if I was reading something on a piece of paper? Would I see any difference in my uh, ability to read the words? Or would they? Would I say, how come everything's printed in gray these days? Mm-hmm. And people are like, 
It's not. It's actually in black. Like, how would I know with my daily activities, I've got a cataract? So there's different types of cataracts. Um, but predominantly in the age-related form of cataracts, where, again, the lens starts to change, uh, th- one of the first changes that people start to notice is when they're driving, and especially at night when lights are coming on. And the images get, again, very fractured, and uh, you start to get a lot more glare. So those are one of the initial symptoms. Okay, you've just convinced me I have cataracts. <laughs> okay, so glare. Does yeah. it matter if you've had LASIK surgery? Because that can sometimes potentially make you have glare at night. So typically, uh, if you've had LASIK surgery, it shouldn't have happened during the time of cataract development. Um, now, one thing to understand that I'd, I'd really like audience members to, to, to fundamentally understand is, is uh, something about refractive error. And refractive error is when the eye is not bending the light correctly, and so the images aren't very clear, okay? Um, and in, type, in terms of refractive error, there's four types. There's myopia, where you're nearsighted. There's hyperopia, where you can see far, but you really can't see up close. Then there's astigmatism, where the eyeball is shaped kind of like a football. And then there's the fourth, which is presbyopia. So uh, when it comes to reading, as you start to hit your mid-40s, mm-hmm. you have a hard time reading, right? Mm. So that's presbyopia. Um, uh, and then, uh, as, uh, again, uh, so, so reading really isn't the best litmus test to see if you're getting cataracts. Yeah. So nighttime driving. Yeah. So I've just, I've got a new diagnosis. <laughs> I have presbyopia. <laughs> All right. But when you're driving at night, you said you could potentially figure out if you have cataracts mm. because you would see glare, you mm. would potentially see fractured images. Yes. So don't drive at night if you can't see. I mean, first of all, but I understand a lot of people who can see don't drive well, Mm -hmm. so who's to say? But what should you do if you notice? Because it would be gradual, I would assume. I mean, unless you have some traumatic event, most people who get cataracts, it's sort of a gradual process. How do you know you can't see? I mean, I guess if you hit stuff, Mm -hmm. you know you can't Mm -hmm. see, but what are some other subtle signs that people could consider Really, keeping an, keeping an eye out for it's kind of ironic, but how would you know? So again, typically cataracts hits later on in life, and the other thing to understand is is that the eyeball is only as strong as its weakest link. So if the assumption is is that it's cataract, actually that's a wonderful thing because it's something that can be treated. Treated, easy um, to treat. But if you have other uh, health conditions, let's say you have diabetes or you've never been screened for glaucoma. Uh, there's a number of other eye disorders that really need to be rooted out first, right? And so uh, I think the best thing to do is to get routine examinations. And, and you know, the, 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 the screening recommendations are after the age of 40, you should get, be getting one at least every two to three years. Now, if you uh, have a family history of eye disease, it's more likely you should get one sooner. Uh, but of, of all the eye diseases that do exist out there, cataracts is probably one of the best ones to have because once you diagnose it, it's something that can be relatively uh, easily solved with a very high success rate. Well, that sounds good. So after I deal with my presbyopia, uh, you know, if I get cataracts, I should be happy for that because <laughs> it's treatable. So you mentioned, you know, after the age of 40, <laughs> thanks so much. But after a certain age, you should check, be checked out regularly. If you have a family history, you may want to be checked out more often. Do most people go to the eye doctor just for a checkup? I mean, I see people in my office for checkups all the time. Yes. And, we, you know, we do cholesterol, we do blood pressure, sugar, all that kind of stuff. But do you see that there are a lot of folks who don't come in for regular eye checks? And should we be more aggressive in, in my world about recommending that people do that, even if they say my vision is fine? 
Well, certainly, again, if you have a family history, especially of things like glaucoma, you should be checked earlier on. Uh, if you have medical history, again, for something like diabetes, you know, the recommendations are if you were just diagnosed with type 2, you should be seen immediately. Check right? for those diabetes right. changes in the eye. Right, right. Make sure everything's healthy. Okay. Uh, and then if you have other issues like thyroid eye disease or hypertension or, 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 or a number of other medical conditions, it's a good idea to be checked. Yeah, and the coolest thing mm-hmm. is that you can actually see the arteries in the eye when you're doing an exam. You can actually, it's the one place in your body you can visually watch arteries beat. Yes. It's kind of cool. Yes. I mean, it almost made me want to go into ophthalmology because mm-hmm. that was just pretty awesome. So let's say that you have a cataract. You mentioned there's different types of cataracts. What types of cataracts are the most common? Well, the age-related type are the most common. The I've had a lot of birthdays. Yes, yes. Degenerative aging <laughs> ones. And so you said they're highly treatable, very high success rate. So tell me about what the typical type of procedure would be for a cataract surgery. Well, the art and technique of cataract surgery has really evolved in the last uh, five to ten years. Uh, before, it used to be a manual approach. And now it still is. But now we get to utilize and play with a lot of neat toys, actually. Um, And one of them is a laser. uh, And the laser allows a precise mapping of the eye. It also aids the surgeon in the most delicate parts of the procedure. Um, The way I like to explain it to some of my patients is think of uh, 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 cooking rice, right? Cooking rice over an open flame versus using a rice cooker. So if you're a master uh, uh, rice cooker, you know, you you could control the fire, you know what the heat is like, uh, and and you you could control all the variations. But with the laser, it's like putting the rice up to a certain point, pouring water up to a certain point, and you push the button. So so what it does is is it really allows for a little bit more uh, controlled setting uh, and for more consistency in the results and sometimes some faster healing time. So it's fun. There's Again, there's a lot of things that you can do in there. Well, you know, I got to see the big smile when you said you got laser toys because, you know, it's it's kind of fun to – particularly if you get to take advantage of using the newer technologies and get to utilize that for better patient care with yeah. less, you know, less downtime and all these types of different things that really make a huge difference. You know, if somebody has to have a cataract surgery, they need to know, do I have to plan a week off of work? Do I have to plan two weeks off? How long do I need to be out? Now, there's a standard – you know, if you're taking a lens out mm-hmm. or if you're emulsifying a lens mm-hmm. – because there's cloud cloudiness mm-hmm. to it. Mm-hmm. You got to put one back in, right? Yes. So we put in lenses that are, are all lenses the same? So uh, thank you for asking that question. And actually, uh, all lenses are not the same. Um, when you take out the natural cloudy lens, there's an amazing opportunity to bring your vision to levels where it maybe not have been before. So for example, we were talking earlier about refractive errors. And if you are a myope, meaning that, again, you could see up close, but you couldn't see distance, right? You could put in lenses now that without glasses, you can see distance. Um, If you had become presbyopic, now there are lenses that allow you to see both distance and up close as well. Now, like glasses have bifocals. Do lenses that you put in the eyes, are they also sort of bifocals? I mean, because I'm just thinking if you've got a lens Mm -hmm. and you want to read, but you can't see distance, Mm -hmm. you don't Mm want to lose the reading just to get the distance. So how do you do a combination? So there's different ways to approach that. Um, One of the techniques is called uh, monovision, right? And for those of you out there who wear contact lenses, you may have experimented with this where one eye is used for distance and one eye is used for up close. So you're kind of splitting it. 
Uh, there's other techniques where you could be set for near vision and you have to wear glasses for distance. Or you could set your glass or you could set your cataract surgery for distance and wear glasses for up front. Or there are, again, uh, a new breed of lenses that you could utilize now that allow you to see distance as well as up close. That being said, the thing to understand is, is that with every choice, there is a trade-off, right? And nothing is perfect. Um, and so part of the whole cataract consultation and, and meeting with your physician is going over some of these trade-offs so that after the surgery, there's no surprises. Um, and that's something that's uh, very important, no matter who you see. Yeah, I'm kind of hoping that by the time I hit that rite of passage, <laughs> that there will be the perfect lens with no trade-offs. But what are those common trade-offs? You mentioned, you know, if you do it for distance, you might have to wear glasses close up or vice versa. Are there any other trade-offs in the different types of lenses that you choose? Well, the big one is cost, right? Okay. So, so trade-off. There's a money <laughs> There's a money aspect. Okay, that is a trade. There, okay. Uh, there, there's a cost associated with some of these uh, the newer lenses that are coming out that aren't paid for by government. And the biggest thing is, is if you pay money, you expect a certain result, right? And so if you don't get exactly what you want, uh, then, then, then understandably you can be upset. Uh, but more uh, optically, some of the things that could happen with these newer generation lenses uh, are things like glare again, ironically, uh, some things called sunburst and halos. And also because uh, things are so much brighter all of a sudden, you start to see every speck on the wall mm. <laughs> and you start to see everything so much more brightly that there's, there is an adjustment period. Yes. Sure. It's like, I really thought my house was clean. I cannot believe I that I've lived like I this. Hear that a lot. Right. So there is. But when, now when you do cataract surgery, you mm. mentioned that there's different lens choices. So someone can pretty much describe what their visual goal is, discuss it with their ophthalmologist, figure out what makes the most sense for them, pick the lens that fits them. And if insurance doesn't cover it, they may need to pay a little extra for some of the different types of premium lenses. How long do you wait between one eye and doing the next eye? Because so, you don't do them both together. Uh, well, actually, uh, at, at, at some now? institutions, there are there are places where people are doing them both. Um, but you ask a very relevant question, right? So if you're used to wearing glasses and you're, let's say, a, a minus four, a minus five, and you do one eye, and now you're, uh, the eye that you had surgery on is, is set to see well at distance, but this other eye uh, can't see so well. Uh, what actually happens is your brain is receiving two different images of two different sizes, and the brain can't tolerate that. So those are situations where you might have to employ a contact lens temporarily. Uh, if the difference isn't so great, like you said, you can sometimes just pop out the lens. But we do need to think about these things, and we go over all of these things with the patient. All right, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, learning all about the eye and why I can't see as well as I used to. But when we come back, I'm talking with Dr. Kenneth Chowng, who is, and I'm going to pronounce your name correctly, maybe after the break. But, you know, we're talking a little bit about the eyes. What makes the eyes work well and what are the other common types of problems that can happen? And what else can we do so that we can all see as best as possible for as long as possible, as long as we live? When we come back, we will be right back after this quick break, talk more about common eye problems and how we can fix them. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to the St. Andrews Schools, which includes the Priory School for Girls, the Prep for Boys, and Queen Emma Preschool. 
Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. I'm going to do this again with Dr. Kenneth Chung. I got it right finally. All right. I'm glad you get things right a lot better as an ophthalmologist. He is opening up a new practice out in Hawaii Kai, bringing the expertise of neuro-ophthalmology in addition to routine ophthalmology to our islands, particularly to the area of East uh, Oahu. Now, we were talking about cataract surgery, and we were talking about the different types of aspects of picking a lens and figuring out how you can maximize what your goals are with your vision, and also make sure that you do appropriate treatment for both of your eyes. Now, you know, in general with cataract surgery, there is, there's a little downtime. You're not supposed to, like, overexert yourself, bend down, pick stuff up off the floor. So there is sort of a an expected post-operative recovery time. What are the big basics about that? So I tell my patients, uh, don't work with a jackhammer and don't shovel manure. Uh, so <laughs> hopefully you don't have to do that anyway, but okay. Uh, but it really depends again on 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 the preoperative evaluation and the and the state of the the eyes before the surgery. Um, one thing to understand about cataract surgery is is that as the cataract progresses, it becomes more and more difficult to take out. Um, and back in uh, I'd say about fifteen twenty years ago, before uh, some of these modern techniques were invented, you actually had to wait till the lens uh, quote unquote ripened and became hard enough that you could take it out using that technique. Uh, with modern methods, you're going through uh, uh, incisions that are two millimeters, right? So the size of a pen tip. And so after you remove the cataract, uh, people could, you know, actually function right away. Uh, I've, I've, I've operated on people who have gone to work that very night. Um, but again, uh, generally, we, we ask people to take it easy. And that more has to do with some of the, uh, the, the, anal- the, the narcotic effects uh, for, for the intraoperative uh, anesthesia more than anything. Now, let's say they've had a successful cataract surgery. They're doing great. You've cleared their cataract issue. Do you ever have to do it twice? Uh, We certainly don't want to. Uh, on rare occasion, and, and this does happen with patients who've had LASIK, and this is another thing that if, if I could put out there. Uh, when you do LASIK, you're working on the front of the eye. You're working on the cornea. And the downside to that is, is that when you come to having cataract surgery, some of the measurements you need to take to get your eye to that, you know, that perfect level is almost impossible to do. Uh, so if you've had LASIK, uh, please keep your records. Uh, and that helps a lot. Well, I'm screwed. <laughs> Thanks so much for that. Because I've had LASIK, I have no idea where the papers are. That's something for me to work on. Okay, so let's talk about what else happens with the eye. What is, uh, you know, neuro-ophthalmology? My, my thought on that is uh, the brain is involved in neurology. The eyes are kind of an attachment to the brain. And ophthalmology is the eyes. Mm. We've talked cataracts. That's a common thing to have happen. But you have this extra specialty that you that you are able to take care of with individuals. What is neuro-ophthalmology and what are those types of conditions that you have that expertise in treating that not many folks do? So neuro-ophthalmology has to do with visual disorders that really don't emanate from the eyeball itself. Um, and these are disorders that are related to the nerve, to the brain, or systemic disorders that manifest uh, within the eye. <clears throat> so, uh, neuroophthalmology is actually a crossover between ophthalmology, neurology, and it's a it's a really fascinating field. Uh, some of the common things that we see are are issues with the nerve, uh, visual disorders that people can't quite explain, uh, visual field defects, 
uh, and things related to things like uh, multiple sclerosis. So your expertise, if somebody had multiple sclerosis, if they had mystery eye condition, I can't figure out... Mm. What would be some of the other? I can, you know, I kind of think like myasthenia gravis. Well, they have an eye problem. What other sorts of common diagnoses would be considered neuro ophthalmology? So you brought up myasthenia gravis, and a lot of times uh, this is a condition where where you have weakening of the muscles, and because the eye muscles are so sensitive, sometimes it manifests initially in the eyes. So uh, a patient might present with an eyelid starting to come down, or they might present with uh, double vision where they're seeing two different images, right? So uh, traditionally, if someone shows up like that, uh, it's not the easiest diagnosis to capture, and people will go through a slew of imaging tests, a slew of blood tests. But if you happen to see a neuro-ophthalmologist, you can see some of the key characteristics, and that might be more easily discovered. So as a neuro-ophthalmologist, we deal with a, with a lot of zebras <laughs> in the ophthalmology world, and if anything, uh, we could uh, try to relieve some of the extra testing that, that is uh, inevitably done before uh, they come to us. Is it because you can see something unique in the eye that helps you to make the diagnosis? Uh, it's, it's really looking for patterns like anything. Um, and just through the training that we have, uh, we're diagnosed to some of these more subtle patterns. Uh, but once you see it and you learn it like anything, it, 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 it's, 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 uh, it's, it sticks it, with you. It sticks with you, yeah. You can pick it up next time. Yes, Okay. And what about folks who have strokes? Would that be something that could affect their vision, may affect their visual perception, mm -hmm. may affect their brain's ability to process images? Would that sort of be something that could present as an eye issue? Well, thank you for asking that, too. You know, what's amazing is, is that nearly half of the brain is used to see and move the eyes. Wait, wait, okay. <laughs> Let me just digest this. Nearly, because, you know, years ago, everybody used to say, we don't know what the brain does. We only use 20%. Mm -hmm. And then I think that was sort of myth busted because they realized if you do like PET scans, which track blood flow in the brain, and you have people do different thought processes, et cetera, you see everything highlight. So there's not really an area where we don't think it does anything. 50% of the brain nearly yes. is used in some type of visual processing or with vision. Yes, yes, yes. And so wow. going, going back to your question about having a stroke, and it really depends on where, the, where in the brain the stroke occurs, uh, but if it happens to occur in an area where uh, the vision is, 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 is processed, yeah, it could show up as a, as a visual field defect, either uh, uh, encompassing the entire one side of the body or a quadrant uh, of your vision. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, I had a patient who came in like that. He actually kept hitting his head on a telephone pole, and one time he needed stitches. So he came to see me for stitches removal, and I went, well, what's going on? He's like, I keep hitting this pole. I never see it. And I'm like, well, that's really weird because what, what else can't you see? He actually had a complete hemianopsia. He actually mm -hmm. couldn't see an entire area of his visual field because he had had a stroke. And so he didn't realize that he was missing something. Correct. And he actually literally had to hit something and need stitches before it was determined through his history that he was having this visual problem because he didn't, he didn't notice he had a problem. He just couldn't see that side. And, you know, speaking about visual field defects, by looking at the pattern of the visual field defect, you can actually localize where the problem might be. And uh, this is where neuro-ophthalmology does come in, helpful, where if you, let's say, have a visual field defect that encompasses the sides of both eyes, that could point to a part in the brain called uh, the pituitary. 
And if that gets affected, that's usually a tumor that we can diagnose just by taking the visual fields, and we could uh, recommend you to the right people to get it taken out. And it can improve vision. I, I've seen that happen as well. Let's talk about another common thing that scares people, macular degeneration. Yes. And use that word degeneration like you said earlier. So, you know, it has that word in there. It's Is a that scary something? Word, it's a scary word. I don't like the word degenerate. Is that something that is better detected early, has some sort of preventative aspect where if you catch it early, you can do X, Y, or Z to prevent it. You can take certain vitamins. You can do something. Or is it kind of one of those age-related, once you get it, we just monitor, progress, and watch and see how you do? So macular degeneration is another one of those degenerative eye disorders that are really picked up during screening events. And the other so get your screening done, yeah. do your evaluations. As you get older, maybe at some point, yearly eye exams. Okay. And I think the, uh, the important thing to understand about most conditions is that they occur along a spectrum, right? And so if you catch a lot of things early, there are things that can be done. Uh, with macular degeneration uh, specifically, there are uh, really two different forms. And the more milder form or the dry form, there are things that can be done to prevent the progression of these things. Uh, if there's one message that I could put out there, and it's applicable to macular degeneration and other eye diseases, is the use of sunglasses, you know, proper nutrition, and again, getting screened. And there's some cool-looking sunglasses out <laughs> there. I mean, in fact, I think there is a requirement that if you label something a sunglass, that it actually has to protect against UVA. And I think is it also UVB? It has to provide a certain level of protection to be sold as sunglasses. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they're just like, you know, costume glasses. Mm -hmm. But in actuality, to, to legally be sold as sunglasses, you have to have a certain protection of, I think it's UVA, it might be that combination UVA, UVB rays, which is highly appropriate. And we live in the sun all the time. In so Hawaii, yeah. people should wear sunglasses in bright sunlight, if at all possible. Yes. What about people who go to the ocean a lot? Can you get those kind that just... You know, if they're in the water, surfers. I see a lot of surfers who get a lot of eye conditions, usually at a younger age than I would expect. And I think a lot of it has to do with their sun exposure. So are there ways that, you know, I guess they could get those sort of things that connect your sunglasses to the back of your head. But, you know, should they wear like sunglass goggles? Oh, that's hard for me to answer. Uh, yeah, they might not look so cool anymore. I don't know if they're going to do it. But I think one thing that's important is, is, is not just for, for the adults, but children as well. Very important. Uh, you for know, kids. We're, we're we're almost neurotic here about the, the the sunscreen lotion. You know, wearing hats. But and I think the next thing that's to come is really uh, sunglasses and people becoming more focused on, uh, on 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 saving that. Well, and I I talked to someone a few years ago who said if you look at the embryology of the mm -hmm. eye, mm -hmm. the eye embryology comes from the same skin. Well, the same area as the skin, so that as our skin cells are so sensitive, if you look at embryology, which I barely remember, your the lens in the eye actually the surface is ectoderm, yeah, coming from. The, well, I did not remember surface <laughs> ectoderm, but I'm really happy I remember the idea. Actually, is is related to the skin. So if you think about protecting your skin, think about protecting your eyes because those are very important things to do. Eye vitamins, yay or nay. They're good. They're not good. Should I go get myself some Occuvite? What's in that? Everybody seems to be taking it. Am I missing something? Great question. Uh, so those vitamins have been shown to be effective in halting the progression of macular degeneration when it gets to a certain level, right? Otherwise, it's just really expensive urine. So if I don't have macular degeneration, just, you know, don't go pick up some eye vitamins. It's not going to help me. 
I, I would say I think the important thing to take away is 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 to is, is to be healthy overall. Sunglasses, good nutrition, yeah, exercise yeah. regularly, and those things all help. You know, it's so ironic because it seems like every medical condition we talk about gets down to the basics. You have to eat right, exercise, you know, don't get super stressed, all those sorts of things. Now, you're opening up an office. It's going to be in East Oahu, and that is going to be in the Hawaii Kai area. Where can people find out about how to find you? Well, if you're on Kalanianiole, you'll see our sign at the intersection of Keahole and Kalanianiole. And you could always look us up at idoctorshawaii.com. Well, that makes it easier, idoctorshawaii.com. All right, and if you happen to have presbyopia like me, we're going to need our reading glasses. I'll see you when I go get mine. And that's just going to have to happen. I have to stop uh, stop ignoring the uh, the actuality of it all. All right. I want to thank you for sharing your expertise with us today. Well, thank you so much. And I'll probably be in your office soon getting my evaluations done. If you'd like to hear the show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the links to The Body Show. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We will see you next week. We're going to talk some more about how to stay healthy right here on The Body Show. Mm-hmm.